Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Julia Child who said the only time to eat diet food is while you're waiting for the steak to cook. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're in our culinary studio at Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Coming up on this show, we have the great cookbook author, David Tannis, and that means flank steak with this Italian salsa verde sauce that anybody can make, and it's unbelievable. Want to take a culinary walking tour in New Haven? We found one. The Half Full Brewery in Stamford, Connecticut is here with some surprisingly good and original craft brews. How creative can you get with a food truck? You're about to find out what some of the nation's top 100 trucks are doing. Think pulled pork on pretzel rolls, lip smack and good stuff out there and right here. My treasured food buddies are with me, senior contributors Chris Prosperi and Mark Raymond and Stephen Fries of Gateway. Hey, everybody. Hey, Faith. Hey, Faith. It's good to have you with us. Robin Doyen Aiken is our senior producer. Robin, say hey. Hey. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was researching, as I'm, I'm known to do online, we all do this because we're so absorbed by the food world. I came upon these surveys about the best food trucks all across the nation. Uh-huh. Now, uh, we trucks. on this show are food truck fans. Oh, we yeah. love it. In fact, we have dreams. You know, what if <laughs> have we our started own food, a food schmoozed food truck? What would we Ooh. do? By the way, in one of the most significant sites online, Daily Meal, they named Casius in New Haven. They just made it into the top wow. 100 list. Wow. Uh, grilled because cheese. as it happens, <laughs> there are so many grilled cheese trucks now. So they have some stiff competition, but we're so happy they made it into the top 100. And that's Casius in New Haven. Yeah, they the ha- cheese truck. The cheese the truck cheese is here. unreal. <laughs> With tomato soup. Jason Sobosinski's restaurant. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to quickly do the list, and then I'm going to ask each of you, if you were doing a food truck or you want one to come in your neighborhood, what do you want it to cook? Okay, so here's their top 100. There's a food truck featuring only bacon, one featuring a lobster roll where uh, they serve Mm -hmm. the lobster rolls topped with chilled mango and jalapenos. Ooh, 
there is yeah. a, a food truck serving buffalo steaks uh, and nice. a breakfast all day truck. Yeah. Oh, there's Giovanni's shrimp truck that does nothing but shrimp from oh, shrimp scampi mm-hmm. to hot and spicy Forrest shrimp. Gump going on. Wow. <laughs> there's a truck in Portland, Maine called Urban Sugar that does hot donut bites. Oh. No, I'm sorry, but I'd be begging them oh, to come to my yeah. house. Uh, there's a truck called Waffle Love where mm. you can get a banana cream pie waffle. Wow. In Providence, Rhode Island, which is right near us, you can look for a truck called Plouf Plouf Gastronomie, which is a rustic French mobile bistro that serves duck confit with green peppercorn oh, brandy sauce and a bacon duck burger oh. and oh. vanilla creme brulee. Nice. Oh, what That's a finish. That's a food truck. <laughs> wow. That is a food truck. You can see how, Stephen, how wide this goes yes. when you really start using your imagination. One of my favorite food trucks is Pepe in Washington, D.C., and it's created by one of my favorite chefs, Jose Andres. He is doing uh, seared Iberico pork and hazelnut ice cream and chocolate flauta, which are these sort of like a rolled taco that goes quick in the deep fryer. So you've got, you can imagine with ice cream in the center, unbelievable. There is a truck in Phoenix called Emerson Fry Bread. I don't think I have to say another oh, word about right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Alex Province, our longtime contributor on the show, has just changed to be our Phoenix, Arizona correspondent. All so right. I, wrote, I wrote to him last night. He and his husband have moved to uh, Phoenix, Arizona for oh. Matt's work. Alex is going to join us from there as soon as he gets settled. But I wrote to him last night and said, Alex, Look for the truck that says fry bread. It's in Phoenix. Do me a favor. I want you to report on that. You've got to find it, Alex. (laughs) Um, We've got Rigatoni's Mobile Crab Cakes in Prospect Park, Pennsylvania. That's That's worth the drive, too. Mm -hmm. And you love this name. Where You At, Matt, in Seattle, featuring New Orleans po' boys and beignets Mm. and everything Mm. New Orleans. That's a good food truck, too. Yeah. Uh, A truck called Pink Bellies in Charleston featuring Vietnamese stuff like banh mi and pho. Oh. And I thought I would skip ahead. You can't do 100 trucks. But the number one food truck in the nation, Food Fix Original in Modesto, California, serving the pork strami and pretzel sandwich. Oh, Oh. creative. Wow. I want that. I really want that. I really want I that. Really want pastrami that. on a pretzel. They <gasps> also serve pretzel bun, Yeah, right? pretzel bun. Oh, they yeah, sure. also serve root beer pulled pork oh. and something called the Angry Bluebird Sandwich with mesquite grilled chicken with pepper jack cheese oh. and a homemade blue cheese dressing. Oh, I Can I be a Long Beach correspondent? Yeah. I'll go. <laughs> right. yeah, me too. That's what I'm trying to do. All right, I gotta pick a city. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Here we go, people. Chris Brasberry, if you had a truck come to your neighborhood and you started the truck, what would be your favorite thing to do? Oh my God, I want Prasad from India to open a truck and just move to my neighborhood. I do. Because that kind of Indian food on a truck. Or we could get condos above his restaurant. Okay, but no. But that's one. It's a lot easier if he comes to us. And then, and then I live at Long Wharf because you just go there and there's what. Stephen, help me out. Six, six, 
eight at trucks. At least six to eight and trucks. And it's all eight. Mexican and Puerto Rican and Peruvian. Yes. And, yeah, it's heavy. The world comes to New Haven. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you can just sit there. I go down there on a Sunday, and you can just sit down there and have lunch for dollars, yeah. right? Can I just say this about food trucks? In the old days, you were a little bit scared when you went to New York City, and there were these hot dog carts on the corner. Because heaven only knows where those hot dogs were first mm. boiled, what are the food conditions? Yes, they're you know, so what, good. And then there were roasted chestnuts, and, <gasps> but you were you know you and were the soft just pretzels. Kinda, oh, oh soft yeah, pretzels. with mustard. Yeah. That's where the food truck thing Steven's started. And knishes. He's <gasps> from New York. And the knish. The knish man. Yes, I used to always get a knish after school. The Ruby the knish man. I remember him. Yes. Where right. was he in Brooklyn? He was in Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> Stephen cannot <laughs> stop talking about Brooklyn. If you're at a table with someone who knows Brooklyn, forget about it for the rest of the night. Okay, Stephen, if you could either start a food truck or have one come to your neighborhood, what would it make? Can I give you two? Macaroni and cheese Ooh, with all the fixings. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then I have a sweet tooth for those that know me. So anything sweet. Uh, you have a sweet, sweet tooth for? Oh, anything cakes. sweet. Yeah. Cakes and mm, pastries. Donuts. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, I've got something on that. I've got something on that. truck. Mark Raymond, go. So in Old Weathersfield, talking about sweets, every Thursday they have the uh, farmer's market come to town. And so... One of the trucks there is the Nora Cupcake Truck. And you yes. want to talk Famous about amazing cupcakes. Remember when the New Haven Cupcake Truck yes. was so popular? Sure. That was one of the yeah. early people. Now they are everywhere, and people flock to these trucks mm. that do these dessert things. So yeah. really the waffle truck, is they're interested in dessert waffles, the creperie truck, yeah. they're interested in dessert crepes. Cannolis, too. There's a cannoli truck somewhere. Oh, Right. There should be more. Uh, Robin, what do you think for a truck in your neighborhood or one you'd like to start? Parked over by Yale usually is the Jitter Bus Truck, and it is a coffee truck. And so I would love it if I could just walk outside of my house, and there's the coffee Did truck waiting for me. Did you and cappuccinos? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. These are, are places I really don't know anything about the tax laws with regard to these trucks. They do have to get permission from yeah. cities and towns and neighborhoods to be in that place. Absolutely. And I you have to say, like in, say downtown Madison, Connecticut, yeah. the last thing I expected to see was a lineup of Mexican trucks on the green. But there they say. were. So people are getting it. Um, there's a tension between the existing restaurants that have to pay all that rent and all that staff and these food trucks, but I have to say, I love the food trucks. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I got another one. This is the Argentine in me. I would call one El Gauchito, and I would make uh, choripan, so sausage with on a hard roll with chimichurri, Mm. grilled skirt steak, blood sausage. Oh, Oh, my God. All the the, the, the classic Argentine. I adore blood sausage. It's so good. It's delicious, especially cooked in a cast iron skillet. Yeah. Crispy Crispy. edges. Yeah. Do you see (laughs) what's happening across the country with these food trucks? It's unbelievable. Everything, right? Yeah. Is there anything not from duck You can do anything out of a truck. So now we're going to talk about, you know, on the North Fork of Long Island, the North Fork Table has a food truck, and it has for years in the side yard. So when the inn is not open for lunch during the week or whenever, but especially in the summer, you go to this food truck— They've taken this kind of trailer, and they put a wood board across the front and painted it the most gorgeous things, as if you're with cows in the field and whatnot, and then cut a hole, and there they are. And it's not easy working in there. You've got small space. 
in other words, a galley kitchen in New York yeah. City, <laughs> and you're turning things out, you're creating a menu as best you can. But I believe these food trucks that are attached to restaurants are sometimes supporting the entire restaurant. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. One food truck that I experienced last summer at uh, the original Woodstock site upstate New York was a meatball truck. Oh, all yeah. types of meatballs. I'm seeing those on the top 100 list. And a famous one in Connecticut at Farmer's Market is G-Monkey, right? From mm-hmm. that vegetarian restaurant in Branford. Yeah. Wow. Oh. See, that's that. That's a really good food truck. I've had stuff from there. So that's that niche. If you can find your slice of the pie that appeals to enough people to make you profitable, well, then there you go. Mm. It's so fascinating to me how people do this. And by the way, the vehicles that people are using, they range from crappy old-fashioned trailers, which they dress up. There are some in the country, when I looked at the top 100 list, they're big yellow school buses. Oh, my. And turn them into, I mean, they're gigantic, and really, that is the dream. Full kitchens. Yeah. That's the dream. (laughs) It's a full kitchen. There's a food truck that I've seen that even has a brick oven pizza on the back of it. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. The green pizza. The green truck. That's Doug Coffin. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. Doug Coffin, when he outfitted that 1940s truck, he brought in everything from Italy. Now, meanwhile, the 1940s truck, depending on where you are in Connecticut, he, it takes him, you know, like about a day. <laughs> to get there. Yeah. To get there. Top 40 miles He's an hour. <laughs> but it's well worth it. He yeah. parks in your driveway, and it's the most yeah. awesome sight. I think he has two of them. He's rolling. a most creative, wonderful guy. And his pizza rocks. Do you know oh, that yes. when we first started the Food Schmooze, Doug Coffin was on that show? Right, Chris? Yeah, Do you I remember, remember that? that. Really? He was on the Food oh, Schmooze yeah. when it first started. He is such a good food guy. Yeah. And okay. Kate, you know what's blossomed outside of those trucks? The cookbooks that are out there now of recipes from the food, food trucks. Truck. Yeah. Oh, it's wow. Like a side business. Stephen, I so appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I have probably a half dozen of these uh, cookbooks, which is a compendium of perhaps 100 different recipes from 100 different food trucks. Good uh, idea. Wait till I tell you what's coming up in our, our next segment. We have a killer wine. Now, it's a little pricey, but it's a host gift when you walk into someone's house. We have David Tannis, who's one of the great cookbook authors. And if you ever want to take a culinary walking tour, well, we have one for you in New Haven, which is one of the great restaurant destinations. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They are many. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. I hear that a really good meal is a way to a woman's heart. It'll take more than a touch of salmonella to ever tear us apart. Not a lion in the vision of hell.
I'm Faith Middleton. Sign up for our free podcast, meaning copy of the show, that arrives in your inbox every week. You just sign up once at foodschmooze.org. You can listen on your schedule. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Mark Raymond of Weathersfield, Connecticut, and we have a special guest, Stephen Fries, and you're going to find out about these culinary walking tours. And, oh, we have a little surprise Ooh. guest having to do with craft beer, and that is coming up. Mark Raymond, yeah. you have come up with this wine that has blown me away. And I will say it's not our usual $10, $15, $20 wines. This is more pricey. This is the one you want to bring to somebody's house as either a birthday present, anniversary present, the host gift, because the price point is right for this. It's about... It's about $50 a bottle. Yeah, big ticket item. But it is the most glorious presentation. The bottle is huge and is very weighty. And the wine is a knockout. It's a red, and it's called Herencia. H-E-R-E-N-C-I-A. It's at foodschmooze.org. Where in the world did you find this? Oh, this is one of the gems from the Santa Carolina winery out of Chile. Super old vine, specific single vineyard Carmenere. And this wow. wine is just, uh, as you said, a gem. Well, it's just we, so luscious. It goes with everything. Yeah. I mean, so it has that touch of dryness in the mouth. It has a kind of luscious fruit. It's elegant, too, as it goes down your throat. Oh, my God. God, this so is delicious. so it, beautiful. You had picked up that little note of vanilla in there. Yeah, just it's a got teeny, teeny beautiful bit. bright red berry fruits to it as well. I keep thinking oh. grilled lamb. Oh my, the best uh, grilled lamb chops. Just or grilled lamb yeah. chops. Yeah. Anything grilled. Oh. This is just one of those wines. If someone brings it to you and you drink it, you just look across at somebody and say, "Wow, <laughs> what a gift this is!" Now, granted, we know it's fifty dollars a bottle, but I would say. This is drinking like $100 a bottle. And Chile can do that. Um, Chile is known for a lot of inexpensive wines. Great values. But this, this is it. Herencia. And go to foodschmooze.org. We'll tell you what to say. Mark, this is a winner. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now we turn to want to do something that's a great event with your friends. Or maybe you just want to have a fun weekend. How about a culinary walking tour? And you could do this in many cities around the state. In this case, we're focusing on downtown New Haven. And our buddy Stephen Fries, who is at Gateway Community College, he does these culinary walking tours. So tell me, what made you start this? I was on a trip to Portland, Oregon, and I went on a culinary walking tour there, as I have done in many cities. Coming back on the plane, I said, you know, I've gone on so many of these, and New Haven has so much to offer. Why not? So on a napkin on the plane, I scouted out (laughs) in my mind, uh, basically, uh, what types of places uh, would be great in New Haven. And the rest is history. How many years have you been doing this? This is the eighth year now. Wow. Well done. Okay, so what happens when you go in the restaurant? Do you set a menu ahead of time? Uh, It's up to the location that... uh, 
mm-hmm. we're going to as to what they're going to serve. We want them to showcase what they're known for, of course. And Types. you talk, talk, talk with people on the way. Oh, absolutely. Like. They want to know. And you walk from spot to spot? We walk or? from spot to spot. It's about okay. a mile and a half of walking. Mm-hmm. So wear comfortable cool. shoes. Definitely. But you're not race walking. No. <laughs> you're just leisure. Leisure. No, 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 no. It's And uh, by leisure. the end, the walk is really slow. <laughs> the last course. <laughs> yes. And uh, they are like a uh, little lagging behind because okay. they are tired. Or full. Or full. <laughs> But um, very well satisfied. You know, th- yes. these are so much fun to do yes. in your local community. Stephen, I love that you do this, and you and I together have walked around to some interesting places in New Haven where I've been really much, pretty much all my professional life. And so you and I are such appreciators of what people do here. But I know that you, too, do what I do, and we ride all over the state and focus on fabulous places. So we don't mean to say that New Haven's the only place, but um, we bumped into Stephen and said, this is great that he's doing these culinary walking tours. So let me send you to our website because you can find it at stephenfreeze.com. But at the website, we've got it all set up for you. So that is, as you know, foodschmooze.org. You'll see it. What to click to get to Stephen? If you would like to do, how often do you do these? Six times a year, starting That's April twenty awesome. eighth. All right, <laughs> and it is I'm a walkable in. city, right? And you're in right? very good shape. I, I don't know how you do that. It's like, <laughs> One of the interesting questions I'm always asked: Where are we going? And part of the fun of the tour is not knowing where you're going. So the guests uh, always: Where are we going? Are we going here? Are we going there? That's Ooh, part of the fun. So has can some... I say? I, I'm just going to brag on you a little bit. Stephen knows good food. Yeah. He's not going to take you to dopey places, trust me. So, and New Haven has thank some good you, Stephen, for being yeah, on sure. the show. Stephen, freeze. Uh, dot com, but go to foodschmooze.org because you might not know how to spell which Stephen and which freeze. And <laughs> there you go. Sign up um, now. Thank Very you, my cool. buddy. Thank, thank you. you for coming on the Pleasure. show and being part of the show so far. Okay. I always know when a beer has made it when it pops up on the Long Island Ferry. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Horgan. (laughs) So we have Connor Horgan of the Half Full Brewery. I love the name in Stamford, Connecticut. Welcome to the Foodschmoos Party. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. So we loved this first one called Bright. So it's actually a beer that I brewed on my stove after I decided to leave my job and go pursue Half full brewery here. I decided, you know, I didn't want to be a business person that started a brewery. I want to be a brewer. And so uh, I started by homebrewing. I want mm. something that is really accessible for everyone, but also something that pairs really well with mm. food. Delicious. Really good. There's a richness in this, a brightness. It's got that full palette thing going on. If you had a jazz combo, you'd have all the notes of the thing. I really like this. Maybe that's why you called it bright. We try and build a lot of our beers around the kind of this bright personality that we have at Half Full. So this one is called Liquid Optimism. I love the name. There you go. So this is a, a beer that we want to really kind of take to the next level. So we add a ton of different kind of citrusy hops, right? And again, just like with the Bright Ale, it's designed to kind of elevate Very your Very hoppy. Double yeah. IPA, right? Double IPA, a ton of citra, yeah. a ton of centennial, 8.5% yeah. alcohol. Yeah. So it can get you Good in the right mood. sturdy beer. <laughs> so I, I'm not the big hoppy beer drinker. 
but I must say this is delicious. What do you think? I think Mark it's Raymond? delicious. I love the balance in it. You know, even though there's that forwardness of the hops, it doesn't overwhelm your palate. The acidity's there. Everything's there. Finish is really nice. And IPAs are the most popular beers now in America, right? They, they are. really are. People confuse sometimes hoppiness with bitterness, yeah. right? And this beer, because of the way that we brew it, mm. we bring the hoppiness without that residual bitterness. So That's it's really right. There it is. There because it is. the bitterness that I detect in the hoppy stuff is not to my taste. And this is, though I like broccoli rub, it's curious, <laughs> but this is really beautiful. It's got beautiful notes. And this one is called, this is a very dark beer mm-hmm. from Half Full Brewery in Stamford, Connecticut. And this is Rise and Shine, which is not a name you would associate with a dark beer. <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. I'm tasting. Go so ahead. We, we call it Rise and Shine. It's a collaboration that we do under this community source ales project series we have. So we did this with Rise Brewing Company, which is right around the corner from us in Stanford. Cold Brew Coffee Porter, right? So we brew a Baltic Porter, 8.5% beer, and then we infuse it with Rise Cold Brew Coffee. And so it gives you a nice, rich kind of chocolate. So I'm not a coffee drinker. Weirdly, weirdly allergic to coffee. But all you guys who who drink coffee, Robin, what are you thinking? This was was my favorite beer in the bunch that I had. I loved it. Mm, Robin, good. I'm totally in love. I was <laughs> looking for this in college. This is my breakfast. Great, right? <laughs> like, great studying beer. Where were you when I was in college? This, so, this would be um, a breakfast beer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Rise and shine. <laughs> no, you know what? Seriously, it would be amazing at a brunch. And, and as a chef, this is a beer that would really pair well with food yes. because of all those notes in it. I would marinate something shine. in this beer. Oh, exactly. sure. oh yeah. yeah. Stephen, what would you do? I would marinate beef, meat, beef. Obviously. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or bake wow. with it, too. A chocolate cake yeah. with this beer. Yeah. How about know, a chocolate here's what I would do with this beer. Milkshake. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like okay. what you're thinking. <laughs> um, I love this. Really yeah. like what you're doing. How many beers right. do you have? Oh, Lord. We, we probably do about 16 different beers a year that go out into distribution, and then we have a line that is just at the brewery where we'll do about eight or ten this and year. And how nice. far is your distribution? Where do you go? Uh, we're throughout Connecticut. We're in Westchester County in New York and up into the upstate New York, uh, out in Rhode Island and uh, part of central Massachusetts. Wow. So not What's too much. Awesome. What's your dream? No, I think those are very good. This is how everybody starts, right? right. We love the local startup. So what's your next dream location? For us, right, it's it's really kind of building out the whole experience that we have at the brewery, right? So we have a tasting room there, and we've been working a lot with a number of people locally about trying to create something a little bit more collaborative in nature. So our, our, our next dream mm-hmm. location is actually a second location for Half Full where we can kind of bring that, that all together. Tasting room, the way, tasting the room, way vineyards do. Exactly. Bringing okay. a food component, which we yeah. don't currently food have. tourism. Exactly. So- now, in terms of additives, are you doing anything crazy in the beer? You know, we try and fuse and bring food into as many beers as we can. So we have a, a beer coming out in a couple of weeks called Be Enlightened Honey Kolsch, and we've infused uh, honey from Red Bee Apiary in Weston mm. into that beer. So what was this one I like? I liked your oyster beer. Yep. So that's, i got to yeah, tell you, what, what's in there? That was yeah. one of my So favorites. it's oysters, right? And it's the whole yeah. thing. It, it's, it's the meat. It's the shells. We, we yeah. went out on a boat. What? Um with yeah. uh, Cops Island Oyster, and it's called Grace and Darkness because their boat is, is called the Grace. I believe it's Grace Downs yeah. boat. And so we literally went out 6 a.m., freezing cold morning, work with them. They bring the uh, all these oysters uh, on board. Yeah. We take them. 
bring a bunch of bushels into our cars. We're already brewing at the brewery. Bring it down there. We've created a contraption so that we can basically dip all these oysters into the boil, right? And so you'll yeah. get some salinity in the beer. Yeah, almost, yeah, that's you're not going to get a fishy flavor. Yeah, almost no, not like fishy. a little sachet. Sachet would go into a pot exactly. and flavor the brew. That's what you're doing. But what's what in doing. that sachet? Shells? It's, it's the whole oyster. So, so they so, open up and all the liquid or the liquor from the oyster infuses into the beer. Right, and that's okay. why I get it. And certainly yeah. when as the beer warms up, you get more and more of that kind of salinity. Yeah. Right, so it's wow. more of a texture thing than a flavor. Everyone's but, worried it's going to be fishy. I know. It's not. That, I, I told you today. I have this in my all. refrigerator at home. Off the map, different. This is the beer. Very unusual and delicious. Here we are with the folks from Half Full Brewery in Stamford, Connecticut, talking about their various beers. Would you say that back so long ago when first there was mead and then there was <laughs> well there was wine first in the early Roman Empire and then there was mead at some point and then there was beer. Do you think they were fooling around with flavors like this? That's a good question. I don't know if they were doing it intentionally. Um, there's a lot of flavors that exist in nature that that probably made it into the beers then that you won't do now right? because we're, we're trained to look mm-hmm. for it. So there's yeast throughout the environment. right? We did a beer with marshmallows and one of the reasons when we brew it that we put it in the boil is oh. in case there's any residual yeast that's somehow existing on the, the outer coating of that. that is it sweet? So I, I have an idea is. for a food wow. schmooze beer. Come on down. <laughs> Come on down. We'll do, we'll do like a, an, a, a live airing of your show there. Can we right? brew it on air? Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. As long as you're okay with doing an eight-hour show because yeah. it's going to take about eight hours <laughs> to brew it. <laughs> no, I we can do that. I have an idea. idea. I have a couple of ideas. This is like what's going on in Europe and has been for some time where you're mixing both beer and cocktail spirits. Now, most people would do that with the barrels that these spirits are aged in. I'm not sure. I might actually want this spirit right in the beer with it, but I need your expertise to help us craft this. We, we can do can it. We, can we have some fun with that? Absolutely. Okay. We're ready. Our brewer's going to be like, what did you commit us to? I'm like, come on, guys, <laughs> it's going to be great. Come on, be open-minded. That happens no. about once a week. Come on, um, the marshmallow one is a new idea. I've never heard that. So having talk, talk uh, about that fast. Yeah, I, I sure. would, yeah, pop one open. Marshmallow in beer. I don't know why we decided we want to put marshmallows in it, but we started uh, to do it. And so the first time we took all these marshmallows and we, we used a blowtorch. The problem is you can't really oh. regulate temperature that so way. So you caramelize them and, yeah, and so burn them. We basically which, just scorched them. Yeah, right. Okay. It was kind of like uh, campfire <laughs> s'mores. So you were, right? you were going with s'mores the toasted marshmallow. <laughs> exactly. But this is more, yeah, a marshmallow conflagration. And so after it? that, um, okay, one we more decided we to uh, to broil them. But the problem when you broil them is that the outer ones get kind of charred and the inner ones don't. The final thing that actually worked is we put it on the convection setting. Nice. Uh, and that actually did work and, like, toasted them perfectly. And then we, but do you hear how what's going on? At it's like a brewery? cooking process. They're, yeah. They're trying. Coming up with a recipe. experimenting, coming up with a recipe. Chris, chefs do yeah, this. Of exactly. We do this at home when we're trying something. Right, Steven? Mm, yes, we do. Uh, Mm. Oh, so cool. S'mores beer with the chocolate and uh, wow. marshmallow. And I get oh. a lot of it with the texture. That is so good. Wow. Well, we, we only have 30 seconds right. to go. All right. So go to our website to find this collection of beers. Wow. Is that good? Foodschmooze.org. And we talked about this Herencia wine, which is a knockout, one of the best wines we've had on the show. That birthday present, anniversary present, Mother's Day present, whatever you want. Stephen Fries doing his culinary walking tours. I adore 
these people and everybody doing local stuff in our region. Speaking of people doing good things in our region, I would like to let our listeners know some exciting news and also ask for your help. The Faith Middleton Food Schmooze has been nominated by CT Now's Reader's Poll for 2018 as the best radio show, Best of New Haven. And Faith has also been nominated as Best Radio Personality. Awesome. <laughs> so, we are so excited. I, the reason I get that is the other one, where it's like the best radio show because I'm in madly in love with these people that I do this show we with. We love you Honestly, more. Honestly, no, you can't. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, no. here's where our listeners can help us, and that is that you need to vote. We've been nominated in the Best of New Haven 2018 Reader's Poll, but now we need you to actually vote for us. So go to foodschmooze.org and right on our homepage you are going to see the spot where I'm going to send you to the place where you can vote for Faith as Best Radio Personality and then also for the show as Best Radio Show in New Haven. I'm so proud. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I'm proud of you, Robin. Um, Okay. (laughs) Really, it is a team effort and um, we adore when we meet you on the street and in events and you yes. write to us and enjoy our stuff online. It's really a community. And thank you, thank you, thank you. We love the local, as we were just saying. Please support your local food growers and food makers. We have coming up for you our cookbook author, David Tanis. You probably know him, and that's just ahead. We'll be right back. Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, that means the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. To hear the show on WNPR Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcast and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. And by the way, that would include several recipes from our next guest, and I am unusually excited about that because it is David Tannis. If you read the New York Times as I do, you see his stuff. Maybe you're a fan from his cookbooks. He just has the most beautiful sense of what's delicious, A, and B, he has this ability to break things down into simple language so that you feel when you read his work, I can do that. I can't tell you how much I respect that. So David has come out with David Tannis Market Cooking. It could be your supermarket. It could be your farmer's market. Let me tell you about David. David Tannis has worked as a professional chef for more than three decades. He's the author of many acclaimed cookbooks, including A Platter of Figs, 
Uh, he did Heart of the Artichoke, which was nominated for a James Beard Award. He spent many years as a chef with Alice Waters at Chez Panisse in Berkeley, California. I went to that restaurant with listeners from this show. I'd led a tour there, and he was there then, and the food was unbelievable. David, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Well, uh, thank you so much. I'm blushing over, over here. You probably, you probably can't tell. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> so I wanted to talk with you first about a recipe that Chris made, the flank steak tagliata with salsa verde. That's a classic Italian sauce, although that sauce it goes through many cultures with some slight variations. And you get to use a flank steak, which is not among the most expensive steaks, it is so delicious and flavorful. The technique was awesome. So you take a cast iron pan or, or a heavy oven baking pan, mm -hmm. and you preheat it in an oven on the top rack at 450 degrees. Then you get your steak, your flank steak, rosemary, salt, garlic, olive oil. You rub that in there. You let it sit while the pan's heating up in the oven. You're not going to do this on the stovetop. You're not going to do this on the broiler. But you're going to do this on a preheated hot cast iron pan. Take the pan out of the oven. And take, now it's yeah, screaming and it's hot. it's screaming hot. So you have to be very careful with you know, oven mitts. You put the steak in there and you put it back in the oven and it cooks so well that way. I always do it on top of the stove. I make a mess everywhere. It spits and sputters <laughs> and then I'm cleaning up everywhere. Yeah, but this too. was just the perfect way. And the steaks, a couple minutes in there, they came out a perfect mid-rare, right? We do a lot of wood-fired grilling, but this sounds like an amazing idea. I'm going to try this tonight. This is how not to need a wood fire, but yet get that high heat sear on the outside. Please, David, go ahead. No, no, it's a good substitute for outdoor grilling uh, if the weather is inclement. Uh, and also, it's a way uh, not to set up the smoke alarm in your apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mention that. But, yeah, I do that every time I cook a steak on top of a stove. You might wonder, what's this salsa verde thing? I don't blame you because there are – I like food from around the world, and I get mixed up about what's the Italian sauce versus the Spanish or Argentinian sauce, which one has the anchovies, <laughs> which one doesn't. With this salsa verde – there's this thing that happens with this sauce where things, the individual things, disappear. All the flavors just kind of blend together. If you didn't tell me there was anchovy in this, yeah, I would have never no, known. Exactly. It doesn't translate as anchovy. It just translates as umami. This is garlic and salt anchovy fillets that you chop up roughly. And capers, you do the same thing. You chop them up. Extra virgin olive oil, fresh parsley. I don't even like parsley, but when it's in a oh, recipe, yeah. Stephen, I, I think, oh, my God, it adds a note in the symphony that I admit I can't replace. And then there's mint, which seems like an outside-the-box choice, but, wow, when it's in this sort of jazz combo, now it's jazz. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have shallots and lemon zest and lemon juice, and you mix all that together. Yeah. Chris, what are you going to say yeah, today? I, I did it in a food processor, and you say to do it a couple hours. I did it the night before because you can do this ahead of time. Just leave the lemon juice out, and it's another, like, aha moment, just like with the pan-in-the-oven steak. That Adding that lemon juice at the end just brought that sauce to life. Pour it over the steak and a little Parmesan cheese, and you're in heaven. Uh -huh. Lemon on the side, arugula underneath. Yeah, a little bit of Parmesan does the thing. Yeah. So David Tannis, author of David Tannis Market Cooking, 
can you identify with what Chris is saying, or what are you thinking when he says that? We're both thinking the same thing, <laughs> uh, basically. Of course, you can make the sauce uh, just a few minutes before you need it, but the whole reason for not adding the uh, lemon juice the night before, you want it to stay bright and green because it's a green sauce. And, you know, you can really use almost any green herb to go in the sauce. You want parsley. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whether you think you do or not, you do want parsley. And you want it to be thick with herbs. It, it goes together really quickly. Uh, and it's a simple kind of ordinary, well, delicious, but ordinary Italian everyday sauce. One of the things that I appreciate about you, whether you're writing in the Times or in your cookbooks, is this sense of what creates deliciousness in the mouth and yet is not unhealthful in the body. These are whole foods, real ingredients. When did that start for you? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I've never been really heavy butter and cream. Uh, although I like good butter and I like good cream, uh-huh. uh, but essentially I like simple food, and it doesn't have to be complicated to be good. That, yeah. That's really the the message in market cooking. Uh, simple food is good, but a lot of it has to do with sourcing, you know, with shopping, with marketing. But most people. What, what do you do, mean by that? Well, if you're going to make a fennel salad and you're going to just slice fennel and sprinkle it with salt and olive oil. You want it to be a really tasty, good fennel to begin with. Uh, You want it to be in season. You might decide, I'm going to the farmer's market to get my fennel this week. So, I mean, there are some little decisions to make. Here's what I'm thinking about that. You know how there was almost a kind of religious zeal? You know, you must eat within 50 miles of your house. We must not allow food to come in from other countries because of the flying and the costs of that are totally understandable, and yet this is the new world. I've been chair of the Farmland Trust in Connecticut for a million years, so I am totally into what you're saying, but I do shop during the week at my supermarket. Sure. Yeah. I I could tell you the peppers don't look so fantastic, Mm. and the fennel looks a little at one part, you know. But I think, okay, this is the way it is. This is what I've got. So how do you think about that? I think there's always something fresher in the back they haven't put out yet. (laughs) 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 And and, and I go and talk. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say at my supermarket? No, seriously. You go to the person and you say, don't you have any fennel that isn't brown? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I do. They've got uh, stuff to I mean, sell. I mean, I mean, in in the U.S. now, there's incredible produce in 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 the supermarket. So, um, you have to be diligent about finding which stuff is the freshest. Here's the thing: I can, at this point in my life, I can afford to buy things that are maybe a little bit more at their peak, although I don't have the time to do that all the time. So during the week, I'm at the supermarket trying to do my best, as many people are. But I'm poking at you a little bit because I wonder, are we trying to create a movement of people who demand better goods? To what degree, you've carved out a, a niche for yourself, to what degree are we saying this is for people who can afford this kind of stuff, I don't know how to make sense of this, frankly. Well, all I'm saying is I think people should cook at home because mm. I, 
<laughs> uh, a, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be probably better than what you can get in a restaurant. It's going to be fresher than what you can get in a restaurant. And it's going to be cheaper than what you can get in a restaurant. And it's also, if the family bonds around the table, it's fun to cook. All of those things. Yeah, and uh, you know what, David? And that's what I liked prosperity. about your recipe. It's definitely about good ingredients, but your recipes have such good combinations of flavors. Even if you didn't have, like, the best of the best, it would still, I think, work. Because yeah, I do, you, too. you hit notes in this salsa verde, which would bring out flavors in anything. That's why I love the way you cook. And you said this. It doesn't take extra time. It's actually easier than a lot of recipes I've seen. And these come out better because you have little ways of bringing out the best in any food. You know, so you, what you all here on the show hear me doing is trying to find a path. Because on public radio, our audience is everybody. We've got guys in trucks. We have people on uh, food assistance, now called SNAP. We've got CEOs. I'm trying to find a path through all of this. David is just a genius at what he does as far as I'm concerned. And it's the kind of cooking that I do because I can afford to do it. If there's no good fennel, get a cabbage, you know. (laughs) uh, I'm not trying to make anything sound uh, elitist. I'm just trying to get people to cook at home. There are recipes in here for a delicious pot of pinto beans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing in here with truffles, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or any no, really I know. Fa- uh, I know. Fa- fa- David. fancy ingredients. What I want people to do when they look at the book is say, that looks delicious. Yeah. And it doesn't look, and it doesn't look very complicated. I don't mean to, with my questions, put you on the defensive at all. You know, one of the things I do is work with Wholesome Wave, and I know that they have gotten people who are um, poor to get double the vegetables at farmers markets, thanks to Michelle Nishan, and I know that's the kind of thing that you care about. So it's I have the agenda to address all kinds of people in the audience, as in, don't feel bad if you can't necessarily go to a farmer's market. You can still make these delicious things in this cookbook. um, David's recipes are awesome. Getting your food no matter where it is. So, David, thank you for allowing us to put that first recipe up on the website foodschmooze.org where we have information about your book and now I want to talk about baked peppers with feta and breadcrumbs. Baked pepper is one of my favorite things. So good. And I love feta breadcrumbs with that texture it's just it's got everything going on as far as I'm concerned. I will say that uh, in the summertime when peppers are really at their finest and at their cheapest <laughs> this dish tastes even better but you can make it year round with whatever kind of pepper you can get it's kind of a light version of stuffed peppers you know a lot of times people think of stuffed peppers as having a sort of a heavy meaty filling and these are just sort of enhanced by the yeah feta and the herbs so uh, you have right. um french bread the crust removed we're going to make those into breadcrumbs and olive oil and garlic and parsley and thyme and rosemary and parmesan grated just a little bit salt and pepper and then these sweet peppers and a kind of mild feta cheese mark raymond what were you going to say nowadays too when you go into a lot of your produce stores they have these smaller versions uh, for lack of a better explanation but 
baby like sweet peppers. So you, you get them see, in a bag. Yeah, you get yeah. them in the bag. So yeah. they're like almost like mm-hmm. popper size. Yep. I can think make that's what ones. David found when he did this recipe. Right, David? You happen to stumble on these peppers. These were pretty small peppers. They would be great with those little mini sweet peppers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can almost use them as like hors d'oeuvres, a, a, right? an hors d'oeuvre or a side dish. Yeah. So the perfectly steamed asparagus coming out at this time of year when I drive down roads in the country outside some of our cities, I will almost slam on the brakes because people, whether in their yards or outside next to the road, have asparagus popping up and I, you know, I have to really go back to my roots and say, no, you're not entitled to go (laughs) and steal that. (laughs) Um, So tell me about this because you're talking about shallots and red wine vinegar and a little touch of Dijon mustard, olive oil, some hard-cooked eggs and uh, snipped chives, all of which I love. Go ahead. All we're doing is we're making a simple vinaigrette, and we're cooking our asparagus uh, briefly so that it's still bright and green and firm-ish. And then the vinaigrette goes on while they're still warm, and all those little chopped things are just little extra goodies. It's a very immediate, simple, fast dish to put together. Mm -hmm. Could we do it with white asparagus, too? Because you see that this time of year as well. Is there a real difference? There there is a real difference between white and green. Uh, We're beginning to see more white here. In Europe, they have it all the time. Uh, And white white asparagus nearly always needs to be peeled because the skins are tough. And you have to cook white asparagus a little bit longer than you would be inclined to cook uh, green asparagus. Does it Mm. taste different, David? It tastes like asparagus but with a, a slight bitterness but even wild asparagus has a slight bitterness i think in the states you're probably best off going for the green asparagus and just going for the ones that have the nice tight buds that look like they just came into the market david as i said i adore your work and i'm walking a line of trying to get everybody to eat more vegetables to know what's delicious especially as you describe it. Whether they shop in a supermarket or not, they can use your outline. Thank you. Thank you so much. David Tannis, Market Cooking. We are on Connecticut Public Radio, Thursdays at 3 and 9, and Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.